Amen. Thank you, team. Appreciate that. Great set. Good morning, church. Good morning, online community. Good to see many of you online. Good to see our visitors this morning. If you're visiting with us here, Creekside Community Church, welcome. You're our honored guest. Make yourself at home. We're so glad that you chose to worship on this Sunday morning with us. This time, we're going to dismiss all our preteens and teens uh, for that class. If they'll just dismiss to my left, out the sanctuary doors. So if you are visiting with us, we are going through a series called Experiencing God. We kicked it off last week. It's also a sermon series, a 12-week sermon series. We're in week two. It's also parallel going in our small groups. So week one was down. Two of our four small groups met. I got to go to one of them. They are going really, really well. We're going through a workbook called Experiencing God, just digging into God's Word and coming to draw ourselves closer to God to truly do like the title says and experience God, to get more of God's presence in our life. Last week was God's will in your life. And if you remember, we looked at God's will. One of the most important things I hope that you heard is that we sometimes ask the wrong question. We ask, what is God's will for our life? And we should be asking, what is God's will? And then we find God's will. God invites us. That's the first point of experiencing God. One of the seven realities of experiencing God. God invites us and we join him. Join Him. So then we come into his will. Well, a natural progression happens in week two. This week we're going to study looking to God. And I think it's important that we notice that middle word, looking to God. Also, quick reminder... Uh, we also, if you use the Version Bible app, I think that's the, yes, thank you, Susie. Uh, you can get last week's sermon, uh, the notes and everything. Some of you are always on the run like I am. If you have the Version app, just pull up the event. There's a link on our Facebook page so you can have that with you for kind of an extra study. There'll be one at the end of this week for week two. But let's, let's talk about looking to God. And I thought of this actually this morning prepping for this message. There's a difference in looking to God and looking for God. How many of y'all have ever turned your house upside down looking for something? Let me, let me tell you what happens in my, my house. It's right where my wife moved it. My kids would amen that. We, we, and we don't always put it, I'll confess. Okay, husbands, I confess. Sometimes I leave stuff out. I know that's hard to believe for us guys leaving stuff out. And she moves it. Boy, I saw some heads turn and look at each other. That was really a cool moment for me. Some wives were going. Some wives were saying, he's preaching to you, not me. But things get moved. And you look for it. But there's a difference in looking for and looking to. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is looking to God. Each week we have a memory verse. I love this memory verse. Psalm 27 says this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I want to challenge you first this morning. Put this in your mindset. What is it you trust in? What is it that you look to? Do you look to God above and beyond everything else? Some people today are looking to our government, aren't they? 
Some people, sometimes you can look for church. Look, it sounds weird, but sometimes you can look to a church for the wrong reason. Sometimes you look to your family for the wrong reason. Some people are looking to employment and job or their bank accounts. That's what they trust in. But we're going to see what we should be looking to. And how I'm going to do this just like I did last week. If you're doing the workbook, you know, each day has a, a certain theme and there's a great study attached to each day. And what I've done as a pastor is just I've pulled out some extra verses that speak to me as I go through my study about each day. So let's briefly look at the day one through five, week two. First one was God-centered living. Somebody amen. We need more God-centered living today. And this verse just fell out on me. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'll never forget, I was at a Promise Keepers Men's Conference and they really brought this verse out. And I can't remember which minister was teaching it. But he said, we need to become dead men walking or dead women walking. Think about that. I have been crucified with Christ. I've been killed as that to my old self. You guys remember how it used to be before you accepted Christ. Sometimes we did some things we shouldn't do. And the word says that once we come to Christ, you know, like 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. But sometimes it's hard for us to let that old pass away. We want to bring some of those old habits with us. But Paul, writing the Galatian church, says, no, no, no. If you're in Christ, you need to be crucified with him. You need to put to death all of the old things that used to be that were offensive to God. And I think I mentioned this last week. It's real easy, and especially in this thing we call celebrityhood in our society today, for people to say they're Christians. And then you see unchristian behavior. You see unchristian talk. You see unchristian actions. And the world says, oh, well, I can be a Christian and do this. No, you really can't if you've been crucified with Christ. That's what God-centered living looks like. And then I had to put this verse in. It's near and dear to my heart and some of yours. James 1.27 just lays it out. James says, religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and look at the last part, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Some translations say stained or spotted. Isn't that what I was just saying? Some people that wear the name of Christ look more like the world than Christ. See, there was never any doubt how Christ looked to people. That's why he drew people to him, because he was different. He was outside the norm. He was telling people to love the people that hate you. He was saying you got to forgive those that you've got stuff against. He was always outside that. And if we're going to be Christians, which means followers of Christ, little Christ, lights of Christ, then we need to be keeping ourselves unspotted, unstained from the world. Peter even uses a word. He says you need to be a peculiar people. You know, I've seen some peculiar people. Walk downtown, you might see some peculiar people. But what that word means is different and strange that we ought not to look like the world. And if we are God-centered living, that's how we do that. Day two is God's plans versus our plans. 
I've used this analogy a lot. You know, I say we got too many Burger King Christians out there. They want it their way, not God's way. My plans. God, I want you to interact. And God, I've got this all planned out. I just need a little help now and then. No, no, no. God invites us into work with him. And we have to follow his plans. Ezekiel 34, 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will search for my sheep. I'm sorry, wrong verse. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Think about that. My thoughts, my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Some of us break a blood vessel thinking, trying to figure some things out of God that we're never going to figure out till we get there. And you know what? I'm just going to say this. Here's what I believe. Some of the things we really get stressed out and worrying about what all God's doing ain't going to matter anyway when we step in the place called heaven. Because we're just going to be in the glory of the radiant Jesus, and that's all that matters. You know, whether this group had it right or that group had it right or what have you that we struggle over. You know. So we need to align ourselves that our lives, after we're God-centered living, we're following God's plans, not ours. The next, God takes the initiative Ezekiel 34, 11, for thus says the Lord, behold, I myself, God says, I'll do it. I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Jesus being God, when he came, Luke 19, 10 says, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. I, I can remember, you know, armchair quarterbacking hindsight 2020. Now at this point in time and age in my life, I can see the time before I finally went kicking and, stream, uh, kicking and screaming to accept Christ. I can see many opportunities God was pursuing me. But I was too stupid to listen. And even after sometimes, God, I had to have a Paul Damascus experience where God pulled out a tube before and, wake up. Anybody with me? Yeah. But what does that say about the character and the nature of God that he takes the initiative? If your son or daughter called you up and said, Mom, I'm lost and I can't find my way, how fast would you be in your car going to get them? So why do we not understand this God the Father? When we're lost and needing the way home or sometimes needing the way back home, do we not realize God is all around us giving us signs, nudges, prompts, opportunities to say, I, I wish you'd just accept me for who I am. I wish you would come. Or the, like we see Jesus telling the beautiful story of the prodigal son standing in the road looking for that day when he finally walks back home. God takes the initiative. Day four, God speaks to his people. God is speaking. The problem is some of us are not listening. And it's harder nowadays. I, I really think so. Some may disagree. I think it's harder nowadays because we are bombarded. We're in the biggest technological day ever, especially our youth. Amen? Our youth, you know, uh, just, just for instance, the enemy uses something called pornography. It used to be that Guys didn't see pornography to 1819. It was, in my days, it was those magazines covered up on the rack. If your 12-year-old has a phone, 
and better see what's happening with it because the enemy's trying to get. The average age now has gone down to 11 years old for first being exposed to that. Imagine that. I have a 13-year-old son. We have regular talks about that. But God speaks, and he warns us, and he cautions us, and he tells us he loves us. I love this verse. I love this verse because it's all about Jesus. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in many times, in many ways. If you've read the Old Testament, you get that. But look at this, church. This is the New Testament. This is the writer of Hebrews saying, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, that's Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and whom also made the universe. That's so important because also along with what the enemies throwing at us, we have some people say that there are additional revelations and everything other than Jesus. Can I tell you that's not true? Because the Word of God says, God speaks through His Son. If it doesn't align up with what Jesus says, it doesn't line up. Somebody say amen. amen. And the Holy Spirit, we'll talk about that more later, He testifies of that. He testifies to everything that Jesus has said. And not only does God speak, but God speaks with a purpose. A small verse, but a powerful one. Psalm 57, 2. I cry out. The psalmist would know. David would know. I cry out to God most high. Look to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Do you get that weight? God's got this master plan that he's going to bring off. He's had it from Genesis to Revelation. But God has a purpose to fulfill for you. For you as an individual. In your life. In the time span he's given you in this generation. Whether you live to be 70, 80, or 90. Or whether he calls you home early. You were born with a purpose for God to fulfill. But here's where it comes back. You have to look to God. What's my purpose? How do you want me to use my giftings and talents? Where do you want me to be? How can I serve you? So that begs us and takes us to the point. What are the ways we can look to God? Well, I'm going to give you three this morning. This guy's really looking, isn't he? It's almost scary with that big eye, you know. It means look close. Number one, we look to God as our Father. Let me read the verse and I will speak on this. In the Gospels and Acts, Jesus used the word Father 213 times. You think Jesus had a relationship with the Father? 213 times. Twice as many times as he used the word Kingdom. Galatians 4, 6, and because we are His children, His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. It's new living. Abba, Father. Now, here's what I've come to experience. I can testify in front of you this morning, I was blessed with a great father. He was hands-on. He made most all of my ball games and music events. He had his flaws. From 17 to about 19, we were at odds a lot of times, as a lot of teenage boys and girls get. But there was no doubt that he loved me, and he was proud of me, and he encouraged me. Now, whether you're 
a son or a daughter, and there's probably some here today, you had a less than perfect father. And it may be hard for you to say, well, I'm going to see God, this unseen supreme being, this holy person as my father. I went through a discipleship course, a four-day intensive discipleship course one time in Franklin, Tennessee, and we paired up in partners, and I was in my late 30s then, and I was paired up with a 21-year-old young man, and we were sharing things and get to know each other and telling our past, and we went to lunch together. They sent us out to lunch, and we're talking, and I'll never forget this just out of the blue. He said, Mark, my dad hits me. He punches me. I couldn't relate to that because my dad never put hands on me, other than the right hand of fellowship when I was small. That's my just some, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. But it never came to blows. I, I literally cannot imagine being in a situation growing up where my dad would square off or I'd square off with him and punch me. Some of you might can't or get slapped or roughhoused. And it's really hard for you to see God as a father. And I'll just share what I've been encouraged to do because I have friends like that. And there's actually biblical examples where if your dad, if your father was less than perfect, hopefully there is at least one man in your life, maybe an uncle, maybe a grandfather. In the Bible, there's plenty of, uh, of situations. Asa, even, one of the kings, looked back and found someone who was a godly man, somebody that knew how to treat their family, that knew how to treat their spouse. And that, that, that was their example. But I ask you to get into the Word and look closer at the attributes, the character of God, that He is loving, He is compassionate, He is forgiving. And sometimes, and I've seen this happen, sometimes by developing a deep relationship with your heavenly Father can heal what happened with your earthly Father. He can fill those holes and He can fill that gap. Jesus was constantly referring to God as the Father. Last week we saw, I love this verse, and it still hangs me up. He says, I can only do what I see the Father doing. And I think I submitted to you that if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you read the Gospels and everything we see Jesus doing, raising the dead, healing the blind, doing all these miraculous things, if that word he says is true, I can only do what I see the Father doing, look at how much God was at work. But also, look at how much Jesus was obedient to the Father in looking to him. The Father was just showing him things to do. Can I tell you this morning that your Father in heaven, the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah God, wants to show you things to do. And wants to lead you and guide you and bless you. But you have to get this father-child relationship down. And come into that and look to him as that. We are his children, and God sent the spirit of the Son into our hearts, and we cry, we cry out with a term of endearment, a term, a term of respect that we know he will take care of us. Number two, we look to God through Jesus. God gave us the Son so that we could see him. He says that. Colossians 1, 5 through 17, Paul writes and says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is holding us together, y'all. Somebody say amen. And he has been since the beginning. If you've seen the Louis Giglio video on laminin, you know you, you have a chromosome, a chemical uh, something in us that holds our entire body together. And of all things, it's shaped like a cross. Isn't God wonderful? We look to Jesus. But here I love what Jesus says in John 14, 9 and 11. Jesus speaking says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, because somebody had said, show us the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works in themselves. We ought to look like Jesus. We ought to look like our Father. I'll never forget, I was doing a revival. And I heard one of my pastor pals tell this story. Supposedly a true story. He was doing a revival one day, and one night as the uh, people were coming in, he kind of knew of this person and his son, and uh, the visiting pastor was actually preaching as a guest speaker for that revival, and the father came in, and the father walked with a limp, and behind him was a 12-year-old boy, 12, 13, I really can't remember his age, and the boy was dragging his foot and limping too. And the guest pastor asked, the pastor said, hey, that, what happened to them? He said, oh, he says, well, the son's okay. He said, but he was in a, the father was in a construction accident years ago and kind of shattered his hip bone and he's walking with a limp. And he said, but he said, let me get him back. He said, ask the boy why he's limping. And he literally brought the boy. He says, I noticed you came in here, you were limping. And he says, your dad got hurt, but why are you limping? And the boy looked at him and said, because I want to be just like my daddy. Sometimes we need to limp for Jesus. Sometimes we need to look a lot more like our father than ourselves. And if you look at the Gospels, everywhere you look at Jesus, you can see the heart of God. You can see him standing, as I said, in the lane, waiting for the son, me and you, to come back. You can see him on the cross forgiving those who've done hurtful, harmful things. You can see him in the love when Jesus sat at the table and laughed and ate and drank in the sweet fellowship that comes from being united in Christ. We look to God by looking to Jesus. And when we see Jesus, we see God. Last and not least, we need to look to God by his Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 and 16, Jesus talking again, telling his ministry team there, the disciples, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. 
He will glorify me. That's really important. Put those two together. He won't, speak on his, he won't speak on his own and he'll glorify me. That's why I said what I said a while ago. The Holy Spirit will never tell you anything in opposition to Jesus and his teaching. I'm going to expand on that in a minute. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Jesus says, I'm going to tell him what to say. Because remember, Jesus is leaving, and Jesus says, you're not going to be blessed unless I leave because the comforter, the spirit of truth, can't come, and he's going to lead you into all truth. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Do you know where we abuse this, where Christians abuse this? Sometimes even in relationships and failed marriages. Well, you know, they really make me happy, and the Holy Spirit said it was okay to do so. If the Holy Spirit's told you to leave your spouse, Jesus didn't say it. If they told you to do something that goes against the teachings of God's holy word, Jesus didn't tell the Holy Spirit to say it. You probably listen to your own conscience and trying to justify things rather than being under the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God. And we need more people, more Christians to come under the Holy Spirit of God. He will guide you into all the truth. If you want to know what's true today, look to the Holy Spirit and say, explain it to me. I, don't, I talk that way to the Holy Spirit. I don't know about y'all. I'm a good old southern boy. You're going to have to give me some help here, God. Explain it. Because I'm slow. Yeah. And we get inundated again, as I said, from every direction with misinformation. If you don't think misinformation is happening today, get on Facebook and social media and watch the news channels. Amen? But here's what gets me. Jesus just said, we've got somebody. We're tied to a power, y'all. We've got somebody that can get us into all truth. But we look to the government and everything else and the spin doctors and the pundits and everything else to tell us what we need to do instead of the good book and God's word and the teachings of Jesus and the prompting and leading of the Holy Spirit. So we look to God as a father. We look to Jesus as the son, the representative of the father. And we look to his Holy Spirit. Two verses I want to sum up where we're at right now in this message. The psalmist said this. Psalm 27, 8. You have said, talking to God, seek my face. And the psalmist's response was, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. When's the last time you really sought the face of God? Seriously, focused, intentionally. I want you to think of that. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Why are we not seeking God? Why are we not looking to God? And back to the original question. What is it that you are looking to today? Are you putting more trust in the government, your job, your family, maybe even the church? Or are you looking to the person of God? Isaiah 55, 6 says this. Seek the Lord. Look to God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Call on him while he is near. And here's why the word of God says that. Because if you read Revelation, the day and time is coming where there's no more seeking God. God's going to call time. God's going to send his son, the king. And people will want to seek him and he won't be found. There's an urgency for people who don't know God, for people who haven't accepted Christ in our families, in our communities, maybe even in our churches. Seek the Lord while he may be found. The word also says, draw near to God in what? He will draw near to you. All you have to do is make the first move. All you have to do is say, I want more of you in my life. I want more of you in my marriage. I want more of you on the job Monday through Friday. I want more of you while I try to parent these kids. I want more of you while I'm going through this trial and hardship in my life. I want to seek your face. So if you're trusting in anything other than God this morning, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. You can pray from your seat. If you need private prayers, we'd love to pray with you afterwards. But I just implore as we do this section this week of looking to God, dig deep. Because it's sometimes we, human nature, sometimes we miss the trees for the forest. But God's not playing hide and seek. God hadn't moved. It's like that old joke. Old couple in their mid-70s were driving down the road. The old guy's driving. The girl's riding in the passenger. Wife's riding the passenger side by the door. Wife looks over at him and says, Honey, how come is it, you know, when we were dating in our first years of marriage, we used to sit together. I used to sit right over there beside you. And the husband, not missing the beat, said, Well, honey, I ain't moved. <laughs> we got to move closer to God. We have to make looking to him a priority. We have to seek his face. Let's pray together. Father, as we started off with your word, some trust in many different things. Then it was chariots and horses. Now it's a multitude of things that we've said, some of our own self-creation. God, forgive us. For those of us that call you Lord, for those of us who've been born again, forgive us when we fail to look to you and look to something else. Sometimes, Father, we even create idols. And look to them rather than looking to you. But you're a real and personal God. You showed that by giving Jesus to walk among us, to rub elbows with us, to sit down at tables. He is the image, as the word said, of the invisible God. And God, as we said, you're not playing hide and seek. It's not a mystery. You're at work all around us. You're speaking to us daily in many different ways. My prayer for everyone listening this morning, whether online or in the sanctuary, is that we would, we would be encouraged. We would be impassioned, Father, to start this week and seek you a little harder, a little deeper. Whether it's through our, our experiencing God workbooks or just making, making a change, like we said last week, you've got to change our mindsets to change our hearts and change our actions. And we say, you know, I'm going to seek God a little more. I'm going to move because I'm the one that's been distanced. I'm the one that needs to walk the pathway back to my father's outstretched arms. 
And Father, my heart's moved this morning for those who grew up with a less than perfect father and maybe, maybe doesn't know how to embrace you in your loving ways. I, I pray that you surround them with your love, grace, and compassion. I pray that you fill in the gaps that that earthly father missed. And I pray that you push out anything that hinders them from coming to you, knowing you as the good father who knows how to give good gifts. Father, may we seek your face while we can find it. And may we ever, ever be looking to you. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior. In Jesus' name.